about Lazarus, don't think about his feelings and love. Lazarus, don't think. When the fire gets killed, that's when people get killed, so my God doesn't fall. I don't want to think, think, think about nothing at all. This week on Broadway for Sunday, July 28th, 2019. My name is James Marino, and today we have Jan Simpson and Michael Portantier. Jan is the director of the Arts and Culture Journalism Program at the Craig Newmark Graduate School of Journalism at CUNY, and also writes for TDF Stages American Theater and has her own blog at Broadway and Me. She sits on the executive board of the Atta Critics Circle and is a member of the American Theater Critics Association. Good morning, Jan. Good morning. Good morning. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at filespotphoto.com. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Okay, so you might notice that uh, we sound a little different this morning. I am traveling. I'm in Park City, Utah right now and not with my normal uh, setup at uh, at home. Uh, Peter is in Wichita, Kansas, and uh, we'll be talking with Peter uh, next week. So, first up in our reviews, we had a really, I I would say it was the event of the summer so far, (laughs) Roadshow at Encores, um, uh, another attempt at the uh, Stephen Sondheim multi-named show, uh, Wise Wise Guys, Roadshow, uh, Gold, gold, uh, some other things. So, Michael and Jan both saw it. So, Michael, or actually, Jan, why don't you start us off with uh, Encores at um, version of Roadshow, and uh, it, it, let me ask you the, the the blunt question: Is it getting better? I thought so. <laughs> I thought okay. so. And I've seen uh, just about every incarnation of this show. Uh, the first one I saw was back in uh, 1999 when it was called Wise Guys down at New York Theatre Workshop with Nathan Lane and Victor Garber and directed by Sam Mendes. And over the years, as most listeners to this show will know, uh, uh, John Weidman and Stephen Sondheim have continued to work on this show about two brothers, two real-life brothers, the Meisner uh, brothers, who uh, operated at the beginning of uh, the 20th century. I have to confess that I've never been, I've never understood the fascination with their story. And so that's always been a problem for me. Uh, There are two, when the shows, and I say shows because the various incarnations, when they start, uh, they're two young boys. Their father dies. Uh, it, it's probably like 1900 or so. And he tells them that they should make the best uh, that they can of this great opportunity of being in America with its unlimited promise. And uh, 
they go through a series of experiences. They mine for gold in Alaska. Um, one goes out to Hollywood and 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 does screenwriting. Another uh, the uh, the other brother goes to Florida and becomes this major architect um, in Florida. They travel around the world doing various con man schemes. It's very convoluted story. And again, I don't get the fascination with the brothers, but this has been a longtime obsession of Stephen Sondheim's, uh, starting back when he was in his 20s. Um, when, and he, he, I guess he was like 22, 23. He read a book about the Meisners. He thought it would be a great musical. And then he found out that Irving Berlin was working on uh, the similar musical. So I don't know what all these guys see that I, I don't know. Anyway, um, so he uh, uh, fell back. It was to be produced by David Merrick, um, and uh, but it never came uh, to 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 light. Although some songs were written and a book uh, uh, was started, Sondheim uh, began again in the '90s to think about this and recruited uh, Weidman to read the book. Uh, Weidman had some different ideas about how he wanted to uh, approach it, and the two set out on this um, now 20-year adventure of writing uh, this musical. It has finally come to Encore's uh, Off Center, which is Encore's summer um, a show where they look at musicals that were that never made it to Broadway but were produced off Broadway encores off center and this incarnation starring uh, starred as the two brothers Raul Esparza and um, Brandon Uranowitz and I thought they were the best pair that I've seen again I said I saw um, Nathan Lane and um, Victor Garber, and then there was one with um, Richard Kind, and I can't remember who was his brother. Then there was one with Michael Cerverus and Alexander Gemignani. There have been all kinds of pairings. And this pairing really, I, I think, worked. Um, these guys obviously have great voices. Um, the story probably work best here because it is encores and encores tends to pare back the story and put the emphasis on the music and I think a lot of the music um, in the show is really lovely it has a couple of my favorite ballads I mean really really favorite favorite um, and so uh, I liked it uh, it's Problematic. I don't think it's ever going to go into the great canon of, uh, of musicals. This this time it was directed by Will Davis, who starts it off as uh, as though this is a Broadway. I'm sorry, a radio uh, presentation of the show, but. Then it opens up a bit, and he has some really interesting um, uh, directorial touches that, that make the show fun. Um, 
I don't know. What did you think, Michael? Well, so many things to say about this. Uh, I'll try to be quick and, and get to what I wanted to say. Uh, first of all, Janet, was Howard McGillen with right. Richard Kind. Yeah, right. I, I have not seen as many incarnations of the show as Jan has. I, I did see it at the Kennedy Center with mm-hmm. Richard Kind and Howard McGillen. And actually, I had to look it up just now to remember what the title was when it was done there. Bounce. And it was, yes, it was Bounce. It was, yeah. <laughs> uh, Michelle Park was also in that production. And that one was directed by Hal Prince, mm-hmm. which at the time was a t- tremendous news item because uh, it was, you know, the reuniting of Sondheim and Prince. Uh, and then, of course, he, he did he did not continue with this show. So uh, Prince didn't. So so that didn't turn out to be like a long-term reunion. But it's a fascinating little uh, footnote to history. Uh, and then I did see the, the show Off-Broadway, which I thought was fine. But um, John Doyle, sometimes he's done some wonderful stuff, but then other shows... Uh, that he's done, I don't know, sometimes they seem just a little cold and academic. And I think that was another uh, example of that. Whereas this production, I completely agree uh, with Jan. I I think that Brandon Uranowitz um, and Raul Esparza are the best pair that I've seen for two reasons. They have so much personality as individual performers, but then also their chemistry mm-hmm. was uh, was phenomenal. Uh, you know, this love-hate relationship, I think that's a fair description of it, mm-hmm. uh, that exists between the brothers. Um, it was, was just, just spectacular, uh, it, it, very palpable. Uh, and then the rest of the, you know, uh, th- this only has really uh, – five principal characters the brothers their father who dies early on but then comes back and appears as a ghost once or twice um uh and their mother and then this one other fellow character uh hollis bessemer who becomes uh addison's lover Mm -hmm. and uh mary beth peel was the mother and she was just perfection uh i saw jane powell do it uh at the Kennedy Center, and and that was amazing. But Mary Beth Peel, um, you know, is just her voice is remains in pristine condition, and she's so lovely and has such a beautiful, warm, wonderful stage presence. And she was perfect. And Chuck Cooper is is great at everything he ever does. Uh, so he was fabulous as as the father. And Jin Ha. Uh, played Hollis Bessemer, and I only know him primarily from that unfortunate uh, Broadway revival of M. Butterfly, uh, which he was fine in, but but the whole thing was such a mess as directed by Julie Taymor that that didn't really register very much uh, with audiences and and had a very abbreviated run, and he didn't get much out of that. But um, I guess I did realize I did realize that he sang as well, Jin Ha, because he was in Jesus Christ Superstar live in concert on NBC. And uh, but I had forgotten uh, that honestly. And so I was so pleasantly surprised uh, by the beauty of his singing voice in Roadshow, because uh, I, I already knew that his acting was excellent, but the singing and the acting, just they both were 
phenomenal. And that's a role that I saw Gavin Creel do uh, previously. And, and then also Claiborne Elder, who are also mm-hmm. both excellent. So that this, that's been a uh, there's been a very good um, track record in casting that role. This production was uh, very uh, very well done, I thought, on the whole. Some people have criticized Will Davis because they felt the uh, ro- the radio play concept was not carried through. But it, this is so interesting that there was a fascinating talkback after the Saturday mm-hmm. matinee with Sondheim and John Weidman and Will Davis. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if this is just justification or whatever but but will davis said that that was completely intentional um to show the first of all the breakdown uh, in the formality of this of this story as as the, the as the brothers lives go on and all these things start to happen and things start to go wrong and and the whole thing becomes a mess um but he also said that one of the main reasons that he decided on the radio play format was just logistically, because there was such a brief rehearsal period, and this is not a well-known piece, and and he thought, it, you know, if if having it done as a radio play uh, and enabling the performers to be on script for basically all of the show, although they didn't certainly didn't have their heads buried in the scripts, but they had them there for reference for the lyrics and the and the text. Uh, uh, so to to do that would would free them everyone up to concentrate more on the characters and and the other aspects of the show other than the sheer memorization of lines so certainly the um you know the reality of the radio play didn't didn't really seem to make sense consistently through the show but regardless i still think it was a very good decision uh for the reasons that the director stated and uh I uh, yes again that there are uh, several really lovely songs in this show. Uh, the the one I, I guess maybe the most famous is the best thing that ever happened, uh, beautiful ballad. But then there's also um, uh, there's a big production number about Boca Raton because right. the brothers founded that that city um and then the the opening number is really good what a waste and there is a still a song named titled gold even though the the show is no longer titled mm-hmm. gold uh and yeah several several other really good is songs. it something the song that oh the absolutely yeah. yeah yeah thanks for not not making me leave that out uh, and mary beth peel just did a beautiful beautiful job with it um the uh as i said there was a talk back after the uh, performance on Saturday afternoon, and I have never seen a more well-attended talkback. Absolutely, at, uh, because Sondheim was there, and you know it's just incredible to be in his presence and to hear him speak. And I have to say, he seemed. Would you agree, Jan? He seemed delighted to be there. He was so engaged yes. and, and, and in such good humor and very voluble and uh, full of stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, I, I've never seen him uh, seem to be having more fun in a situation like that. So that was incredible. And he and uh, Weidman talked a lot about the collaborative process. Um, as Jan mentioned, the show was originally to have been done in the 50s uh, with David Merrick producing and with Bob Hope. Um, I'm, 
I'm not sure if they actually specifically said this, but I assume he would have been Wilson, not Addison Meisner. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, A score by Irving Berlin and a book by S.N. Berman. Right. Uh, Yes, the the, the well-known playwright. Uh, But that didn't happen for whatever reason. And then and uh, years later, Sondheim, of course, worked with Merrick and asked him about it. And Merrick said, oh, well, you know, it just didn't we couldn't get it together. And, you know, we didn't do it. So Sondheim picked up the idea and. Let's see. Uh, oh, uh, Sondheim talked about how it's imp- so important. He said, you know, at, at the risk of stating the tremendously obvious, that people who are writing a show uh, must be writing the same show uh, and not have different ideas in their head about what they're writing. And he mentioned, of all things, the the crowd really, really um, – almost gasped when he said this, that, that an example when they didn't do that was a funny thing happened on the way to the forum uh, because the book was really a, a wonderful low comedy piece. And uh, Sondheim had written what he described as salon music, which I think is an odd way to phrase it. But he, uh, the point is that he felt that initially he didn't provide the right kind of score for forum. And that's why they were having trouble out of town. And that's why there were late, late additions to the score, including most famously comedy tonight. Um, so he said, uh, you know, that's really important for the creators to, to make sure that they're on the same page and writing the same show. And he felt that, um, that he and Weidman were on the, you know, on the well, same page. Well, I don't know. I think he, the, he had one idea. He wanted to emphasize oh, yes, uh, yes, Addison's yeah. uh, loss of his talent because, because he was a v- very gifted man, but he sort of wasted uh, his talent. And when Weidman read the book, he really he wanted to co- uh, concentrate and focus on the relationship between the brothers. And, and uh, sometimes said he instantly agreed with Weidman, but you can still feel that tension. Oh, sure. Is this a story about the brothers? Is this a story about wasted talent? And this sort of false to me overlay of, is this a story that's symbolic of America's lost promise? And to put America's lost promise on these two con men, I don't know. But there was <laughs> there there is a bit of tension, I think, between their visions of the show. And that might be why they've had to revise it and revise it. You mentioned Michelle Pock. Her character is gone. That, right. That character isn't even in the show right, uh, right. anymore. Um, she would have been the love interest for Wilson as um, the uh, young heir, rich heir, is for uh, Addison. It, I, I don't think they, they did figure out what was the beating heart of, of this show, and that's, that's why they've had such trouble with it. Right. Although one could also say that that just makes it more interesting. And of course, the story uh, 
the story is really about both of those things. It's just a question of where the focus is going to be, and uh, you know, and that's why they had that meeting to begin with. And uh, it sounds like yes, that Sondheim initially saw Wilson as um, a uh, kind of like a, a Franklin Shepard character, uh, somebody who mm-hmm. squ- who squanders his talents. Uh, and we know that that's a very interesting character to Sondheim. <laughs> so he, um, so you know, that was his thought, and then and Weidman said, well, I was thinking, you know. Be- this other thing and then they kind of uh as you said sondheim said he agreed with weidman but there's still elements of the initial concept that that sondheim had because that is part of the story um just to uh, i can maybe end our discussion of roadshow mm-hmm. the the director uh, uh will davis did not say much for most of the uh <laughs> talk back but then <laughs> he did and he's mm-hmm. he really said some really interesting things and the most uh i i could just can't there's not enough time to go into it all mm-hmm. but but he told an amazing story he about how he got the meeting uh with sondheim and weidman uh as to whether he you know he would be chosen as director of this production and and he said i believe that he met the two of them in Sondheim, at Sondheim's home, mm-hmm. and he talked about how he uh, took the M train in from Brooklyn mm-hmm. <laughs> to uh, to go uh, meet them, uh, the, these two guys at Sondheim's home in Turtle Bay, and and he talked about the, their the, their discussion of the show, and he said the discussion was so rewarding. Uh, you know, and just to be sitting there with Sondheim and John Weidman and being able to explain his thoughts on the show. He said that honestly, he said, if it had not gone further than that, it would have been a highlight of my life or the highlight of my life. But then he said (laughs) that he, uh, so he went to this meeting and of course he was on an incredible high and then he was walking home and he stepped on a dead rat. And he said, (laughs) he said, and I thought to myself, that's New York City, Sondheim, dead rat. (laughs) All right. So uh, that is quite the story there. Uh, You know, uh, a lot of, uh, do you think that maybe the dead rat was assassinated? Oh, uh, thank you for saying that. Um, I uh, I got to speak with John Weidman briefly before the show, and I told him that I was planning to go see Assassins at uh, Signature Theater down in Arlington, D.C. area. Um, uh, that's coming up uh, very soon. And they, uh, I forgot to mention last week when I was talking about my the shows that I saw recently in D.C., Signature is um, celebrating its 30th anniversary, and they have some really interesting stuff on the docket. They have a new production of a chorus line with new choreography by Dennis Jones. Uh, They're doing Camille Claudel and they are doing Hair. Uh, uh, So those are just three of the shows that that they have on their docket. And as I've said before, it's it's not that hard to get to DC uh, and uh, not you know, you, you don't have to spend a lot of money to get there, and it's a wonderful place to see theater. So that's um, something to keep on your docket. I, I told John that I was planning to see it, and uh, he, he, I said, I assume you'll be there at some point. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and then uh, you guys recently mentioned that um, – there have been a lot of assassins recently and apparently coming up. We have one coming up in New York. Yeah, Classic Stage Company. Uh, uh, Stephen Pasquale uh, announced 
uh, sort of in passing that he's going to be doing Assassins at Classic Stage Company, um, well, with John Doyle's going, I think, direct. Um, and that was uh, on the rumor. It, it was um, a rumor, and then sort of confirmed. Uh, uh, Stephen Pasquale said it when he was at the opening night of Moulin Rouge, and. Oh. Uh, and uh, on the red carpet to Richie Ridge from Broadway World, but um, uh, and we're not going to talk about um, Moulin Rouge this week, but um, in the next couple of weeks we will uh, we'll talk about it. But again, to have another production of Assassins, um, that's a, yes. that's really great. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's move forward into the next uh, thing. Uh, both uh, Michael and Jan got over to Lincoln Center Theater to see The Rolling Stones. So, Jan, why don't you get us started on that? Well, let Michael. I I, I, I got us into Roadshow. Sure. Michael, sure. Get okay. us into uh, sure. Rolling Stones. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This play to me was, I'm sorry to say, a disappointment because the subject matter is so uh, gripping and compelling. It's about, um, well, uh, these horribly uh, restrictive anti-homosexual laws and uh, just the whole culture that exists in Uganda Um, and uh, based on religious uh, beliefs, you know, what else is new? You know, religion uh, here again, just one more reason to hate people. And I looked it up. It says uh, Uganda is a religiously diverse nation with Christianity being the most widely professed religion. According to a 2014 census, over 84 percent of the population was Christian, while about 14 percent adhered to Islam. Uh, Well, I have to say that doesn't sound too diverse to me, 84 percent. And the point here is that these the Christianity there is very, very uh, people are very strict about it and, you know, things that they think are wrong because they might be mentioned in the Bible. Maybe uh, you know, um, they they just have done horrible, horrible things to gay people in that country. And this is about um, a uh, a young man named Demby played by Atto Blankson Wood. And he is in love. Uh, he's in he's uh, I guess, a you know, a. 100% Ugandan. Uh, he's in love with a fellow named Sam, played by Robert Gilbert, who is half Ugandan and half Irish. Um, so that's a little interesting setup. Um, and they, uh, so their relationship needs to be very, very clandestine. Uh, but then that, you know, things go from bad to worse, especially when Demby's brother Joe, played by James Udom, is uh, chosen as the pastor of their church. Um, so that whole thing where, you know, especially when someone is new in a job, they're going to try to make an impression. They're going to try to do right. Uh, so he's he the brother is virulently uh, anti-gay, like uh, so many other people in Uganda, having no idea that that Demby, his brother, is, is gay himself. And then... Um, 
you know, it's it's just things go from bad to worse. And it, I thought actually the first scene of the play was the was the very best scene, uh, a wonderful uh, little rendezvous between Sam and Dembe. Uh, you know, just they're alone together in the I don't know if it's supposed to be the woods or whatever, but they 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 have a beautiful private moment together, and we can see how much they love each other, etc. But then um, as the play progressed, I just thought it got more and more didactic and uh also that the the lines a lot of them seemed not especially um organic or realistic coming from the mouths of the characters it seemed more like the playwright speaking than the characters uh the the playwright by the way is Chris Urch, U-R-C-H. Uh, and the show was directed by Sahim Ali. And this was in the Mitzi Newhouse Theater up at Lincoln Center. Um, there, the rest of the cast, well, the, the two men I mentioned, the three men I mentioned were all were were all great. Uh, you know, as usual, casting is, is just fabulous. Uh, we also have Myra Lucretia Taylor in the show and Adenike Thomas. Latoya Edwards, and uh, then there was uh, a few other people in the congregation. But so that that was my thought. I, I, I would like to hear what Jen had to say. I, I thought, oh, I also thought that the ending was somewhat anticlimactic. Uh, so I think this could have been a really great play. And as it was, it was only so-so as far as the actual quality of the writing. All right, Jan, what did you think about this? Well, I think I liked it a little bit more uh, than, than than Michael, but I can't disagree with any of the points uh, that, that he raises. I think the playwright was trying to do actually too many things, and he lost his focus. Mm. Um, I've read that he had as his model of the crucible. Oh, yes. Yeah. And that maybe he should have done away with that. He also wanted to bring in uh, something about women and feminism. Uh, He was it also seemed as though he was split between the stories of uh, Demby. Sam and Joe, Joe being uh, the brother. If the focus had been solely on one of them, and we could have seen the entire story from his uh, mm. perspective, I think that might have helped. Yeah. Um, I think I'm also going to do one of the big no-nos of, of, of talking about a play. I'm going <laughs> to talk about a play I wanted to see instead of the one that the playwright gave me. Um, There is, uh, I have a friend who went to Uganda to interview people in the gay community there, gay activists who are trying to um, resist this incredible oppression incredible oppression. This is not about just people losing their jobs or being shunned. People are killed. People are killed for being gay. They're imprisoned for long stretches of time for being gay. Um, and and I think if I would have liked to have seen some of that activism, um, these people who are standing up under incredible, against incredible uh, odds. But that's a play I wanted to see. It's obviously not the one um, that Urch uh, wanted to write. 
I totally agree with Michael that he was very fortunate in his cast, who I thought were across the board uh, excellent, including uh, a woman who has a silent role, uh, pretty much. Um, Right. I I thought they were just uh, really uh, compelling, and I thought the end, which I think tries to dovetail somewhat with the ending in The Crucible, I think that was a mistake. I, mm-hmm. I, I think there should have been um, not not necessarily resolution, but as you say, it just sort of whimpers out um, yeah. at the end. And uh, so I, I'm glad I saw it. Um, I would certainly... Um, uh, urge people to, to to see it just in the sense of being aware of that whole issue. Um, uh, the uh, the name the Rolling Stone is named after uh, a newspaper in Uganda that would print the pictures and addresses of gay people so that people could go to those homes, burn down the homes. Yes. Um, and 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 um, attack uh, uh, the people uh, who live there. I wish there'd been a clearer sense of uh, what the title meant because I I don't think that's really made clear uh, in the play uh, either. So I think he he had great intentions. Um, he had great material. He just wasn't able to get his hands entirely around it. Yeah, the Rolling Stone, the publication, it it, it, it sounds like red channels, you know, exactly. back in the McCarthy era. It's, exactly. you, you know, sometimes the press can be very much actively complicit in in, in this, the, you know, in witch hunts uh, and hence the crucible uh, right. uh, connection that, that Jan mentioned. And yes, uh, just once again, the cast, for example, Myra Lucretia Taylor, her acting, I thought, was so good mm. that it elevated that character, even though a lot of her lines, if you just actually listen to the lines, again, sounded very um, – didn't really sound like a real person, uh, just more more kind of uh, uh, exposition and, and uh, uh, didactic content. But she, she really – you know, was able to rise above that and, and the rest of the actors, too. And yes, I would absolutely agree that it is worth seeing, if only for the, you know, just to have this horrible situation hammered home. Uh, and, and you know, and plus you get all these wonderful performances as well. And right. uh, and it's, it's you know, I, I'm, I'm not suggesting that Lincoln Center should not have produced it because I think they should have. Okay, uh, so that is the Rolling Stone up at the new house at Lincoln Center Theater. It is playing through August 25th, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Jan and Michael also got a chance to go over to MCC to see Moscow, 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 Moscow. Uh, so uh, who wants to start first? <laughs> Jan, how I'll, about you? All right, go All ahead. right, I'll, I'll, I'll woman up and do this one. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is a play by uh, Hallie Pfeiffer, and it is her riff on uh, Chekhov's Three Sisters. And she says that 
she the play reminded her of the way millennials of the self-obsession of millennials i think that's sort of a slander on millennials but um and so she wanted to she thought it would be fun to transpose the play into millennial speak and so the basic outline of these three upper middle class women who uh uh, are living in a provincial Russian town and yearning for what they believe is the wonderful life in the capital of Moscow um, remains. And all of their uh, friends and relatives uh, are also still in the play and still called by their names. Uh, in uh, uh, Chekhov's uh, original. However, because... However. <laughs> <laughs> However. <laughs> because she's transposed the play, um, I've said to several people and actually wrote, um, because I wrote about this yesterday um, on, 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 on Broadway and Me, I, uh, I consider this to be Chekhov for Dummies. The thing, one of the you know reasons that Chekhov has, for 100 years, been uh, produced and revered, is because of his ability to embed things within the lines. There's so much subtext to his plays, and what Pfeiffer has done is she's just dragged all of the subtext right up there and just slapped it in your face. There's a lot of profanity in uh, in this show. Some of it used for just cheap laughs. Mm. They're, they're, um, the show is non-traditionally cast, and that's, that's fine. Um, uh, I think that that can work with a lot of classic uh, plays. It has an incredible cast. I mean, uh, Stephen Boyer, Tevi Gavinson, Sas Goldberg, um, uh, Ray Anthony Thomas, uh, Alfredo Narciso, a lot of really st strong actors that people who go to theater, uh, and particularly off-Broadway theater here in New York, are familiar with. Um, and they do really excellent work that in some places, I think, restores little bits of, of true Chekhov. And the person who did that, <laughs> I'm sorry, the person who did that the most for me was Chris Perfetti, who plays the middle sister, Masha. Masha is the sister who is married, unhappily married, has an affair, sorry, 100-year-old spoiler, that doesn't work out. And... Uh, there's uh, Chris Perfetti in a long black dress. He's not wearing a wig. He's not being campy. He is just performing this role. And I thought he performed it beautifully. Um, and the few moments of true emotion that I got from the show were from his performance and a couple of others. Mm. But 
this, you know, this is part of a trend where these playwrights are adapting uh, a check. Chekhov, you know, he doesn't really need that, but adapting Chekhov. I saw earlier this summer, Life Sucks, um, which is a, <laughs> a similar spin on Uncle Vanya. And I, I, I could just, Michael, help. <laughs> what, did, what, what do you need? <laughs> what did you think of this? Oh, well, first of all, I, it, although it absolutely is billed as an adaptation of Three Sisters by Anton Chekhov, I don't think that's accurate at all. I would say a takeoff, maybe, mm. uh, or a riff, to use the word you used earlier. Um, it's so different that it's – I don't think this should be called an adaptation, but that's what they're billing it as. I completely agree with you with what you said about the subtext. Now, of course, one could do that on purpose – for comic effect, or even, I suppose, maybe for dramatic effect. But I don't think this had any comic or dramatic effect. Uh, <laughs> the only moment I really enjoyed <laughs> was the what happens at the very last moment. And I, I guess I shouldn't spoil it, uh, although I, you know, I don't advise anyone to see this. This is really one of the most unpleasant experiences I've had in an audience for a really long time. Uh, the profanity, yes. Uh, the show started um, – with the three sisters on stage. And first of all, everyone was screaming at each other. And yep. uh, and then the fucks started. Uh, maybe like, I don't know, 15 of them in the first few minutes. Uh, the C word was in there. And they think uh, they're a mammoth? I don't know. I, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, you know, this, but th I've always said that, you know, that's a cheap way to make an audience think that something is going on. You know, very easy to just put a fuck in there if you mm -hmm. if your writing is not good and you're trying to make some kind of an effect because the word still itself still has a an effect. And the C word, God knows. I mean, I hate that word so much um, that when you hear that, you go like, <gasps> you know. But that doesn't mean that it's good playwriting. So I I, I I'm sorry. I thought that. Hallie Pfeiffer did a really terrible job with this one. And um, the direction is, I suppose, appropriate to this to play. It's it's very uh, stylized, very hands on. Uh, the cast does that thing where um, everyone will suddenly start laughing in unison, very, very loud and fake in a fake way, and then suddenly stop altogether. Uh, that happened a few times, uh, although it happened in the beginning a few times, and then they didn't do it again until maybe the end of, of the, the play. So they weren't even consistent with that, and that was annoying. Um, the director well, is Trip Coleman. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, Trip Coleman, who, yeah, I uh, um, I don't know if I've seen him direct in that style before, so maybe he was trying something new. Um, the cast, uh, very good. Did you mention Ryan Spawn? Nope, didn't. Yeah, he, he was also, uh, I thought he was also excellent. And, uh, boy, you know, it's interesting. This is... Um, one of the, you know, uh, MCC Theater has only quite recently moved into its new space on Far West 52nd Street. Uh, and I think this is the second thing I saw there. They did Alice by Heart there earlier. Uh, and there was another show that they did that I did not see. Uh, but they don't seem to be starting out 
very well um, in the same way uh, that it's I guess it's just bad luck the way same way that second stage has really not been doing well uh, since they moved into the Helen Hayes. And it's um, I guess just really unfortunate that these institutional theaters, you know, and they're both excellent theaters, I mean, with very, very good track records overall. But then they, you know, they 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 take they take the huge step and, and the tremendous expense of of moving into new theater spaces and then they have a run of bad luck and i i think that's really sad so i hope that the fortunes improve for both of those theaters very soon but well the the first show that they had at mcc i think it was called the light um did not see that either um and that was that was lovely Oh, that good, was, good. That was it. Was a small uh, drama, but that was lovely. But yeah, I, 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 I mean, they've gotten what I think are names. You know, a Duncan Sheik musical, a Halle Pfeiffer uh, right. play, but but maybe not top shelf of of either of those uh, uh, creators. Yes. Okay, so that is uh, Moscow Times 6. It's planning through <laughs> August 17th. Uh, Peter talked about it last week. You can get back to uh, Peter's review in the show notes uh, for last week as well if you want to go take a listen to that and compare and contrast. <laughs> um, next up, Jan and I both got to see Broadway Bounty Hunter down at Greenwich House Theater. Michael's going to see it next week. Uh, so, Jan, um, mm-hmm. what, did you, what were yeah. your thoughts on Broadway Bounty Hunter? Well, I wasn't, it didn't sound like it was going to be a show that I wanted to see. And then I found that I was, um, I had a good time at it. But I seem to be in the minority um, as I've looked through what, what other critics have said. This is a show that Joe Iconis of Be More Chill fame. Um, he's gone the other way. Be More Chill was about a, a young high school guy. And this play he wrote for the musical um, uh, uh, veteran uh, Annie Golden. Uh, mm-hmm. Annie Golden is, I believe, 68 or 69. And he wanted to build a show around a woman of a certain age. That's one of the production numbers, actually, a woman of a certain age, and, uh, and showcase her. But he he uses the vehicle he uses is to marry the stay with me here the <laughs> black exploitation films and kung fu films from the 70s and 80s as the framework um, Annie Golden plays an actress named uh, an older actress actress named Annie Golden, and when the show opens, she's going to an audition. She's being disrespected because of of her age. She goes home. She's really sad. She's lost her husband. He died in an accident. I wasn't sure at first if this really happened to Annie Golden, the real person, or was just in the play. Tiny spoiler alert, it's in the play. Um, And some people break into her home. And they are a group of bounty hunters. And they have decided to recruit her and train her to become a bounty hunter. This is ridiculous. But you got to just go with it. 
once she is trained, we go through her training sequence. She is sent out on her first big assignment to capture a big uh, drug guy in the jungles of Guatemala. <laughs> I told you, you got to stay with me. And so they, uh, she and a partner who uh, is intentionally modeled on Shaft, um, they go off and they pursue this mission. Uh, it is totally ridiculous, but Joe Iconis writes really catchy songs. Um, uh Annie Golden is so endearing just as a personality and there's the juxtaposition of, of her sweet personality and then she's got this hard rock voice still she's got a great um, uh, people may know she was in the original production of uh, of hair and she's she's still got her 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 rock chops and so um, it was it was fun to, 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 to see it. It's really sort of amateurish, but I have to say, as I, as I was walking to the theater, it's at what is now called Greenwich House, but mm. we all knew is uh, Barrow Street Theater. As I was walking there, I was walking past Cornelia Street, and for some uh, reason in the village, and for some reason, Cafe Chino popped into my head. Mm. And this seemed to me exactly like the kind of show that would have been at Cafe Chino. It seemed to ha it seemed to be like a younger sister to Dames at Sea. Totally <laughs> wacky, totally ridiculous, totally camp, um, and yet fun. Uh, um, I, and so uh, that's what I had. I had fun. And I had fun even though I went on Friday night and they had technical difficulty, so they couldn't sh start the show for 45 minutes. Oh. And so I was already thinking, I don't want to see something about bounty hunters. And now they're making me wait 45 minutes to see this show about <laughs> bounty hunters. I was not in a good mood when I sat down. And I was in a terrific mood when I left. Uh, I have a tech-related question, and I actually almost hate to ask, but my mm. one of my main uh, negative issues with Be More Chill was the tremendously loud amplification. Exactly. And, uh, somebody yeah. told me that exactly. it's the case with this show, too. Is that And they true? don't need it. Uh, they don't need it. It's a small yeah, space. Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I was wondering exactly the same thing when I went to go see it, Michael, and um, – and it wasn't as loud as Be More Chill in the performance that I saw, uh, which was really nice. But Jan brings up the point that uh, it's a tremendously small theater. And I think that the show is too, too large. The oh. show is too large for that theater. But I also oh. don't think that it – I don't think it should go to a larger theater. I think it okay. – you know, it, it's so – it was a lot of fun and it's campy and they had some – uh, you know, good laughs in between. I thought it, it was it was sort of um, I, I I sort of saw a lot of shades of uh, be more chill in there. Uh, mm -hmm. The be more chill squib versus this <laughs> this special formula that makes you superhuman in uh, Broadway Bounty Hunter and the Asian influence uh, in uh, in be more chill and in Broadway Bounty Hunter. And they were like shades of themselves. And I also don't like 
you know, uh, uh, from a commercial standpoint, um, I, I don't like self-referential shows about Broadway. You know, I think the only show that I've enjoyed along those lines is Chorus Line. You know, shows about <laughs> about the theater community. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. um, and um, so this was uh, fun. And, and Annie Golden was magical and wonderful. But uh, I, I felt like the show was all over the place and uh, a mess. You're going to have some fun time there. I don't really foresee it. I don't think it's a good idea to take it to the next level here in New York. Let it live no. in theaters around the nation and around the world. Um, and go and see it just to go see Annie Golden. And uh, I'm also interested in seeing Ann Nathan play the role. Ann Nathan is the uh, the alternate for mm-hmm. right <laughs> for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, she's scheduled. Uh, I believe she is scheduled to uh, do do Saturdays. to go on matinee oh, okay. or your or is it all both both uh, both shows on Saturday or something like I that? I don't but, know. I don't. But I'll, know. we'll have a link to that in the show notes. But the uh, and they're pretty clear in all of their promotional materials which shows that Annie is playing mm-hmm. and which shows and uh, Nathan is playing Annie. Uh, and, uh, and Brad Oscar's in it too. Brad Oscar yeah. is great, and uh, you know they have a ton of talent on the stage there. Uh, I feel as though. I don't want this to sound as harsh as it made sound in, in my head. It's an extended Easter bonnet skit, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. And I mean, we it's... love going to the Easter bonnet, so you know, yeah. if you like Easter you know bonnet. What I would love to see is uh, someone who is a really good, solid book writer work with Joe Iconis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I think his again, his music is just great and catchy but his his uh sensibility in terms of script because i think you're totally right james there were large pieces of more chill that were popping up in this Uh, if he had somebody who who wrote a really solid book i think he could maybe have a real hit you know what i i i want to bring up here is that this Broadway Bounty Hunter and Be More Chill are are shows that Joe has been working on for many, many, many years. Mm. I'm interested in see what Joe, Joe, certainly, yeah. if Joe sets, sits down tomorrow on Monday and starts to write a new show, I think he's going to have a hit because he has gotten so much experience in the last couple of years of, you know, There's no replacement for being able to bring your show to a stage with the level of uh, professionals Mm -hmm. that uh, that he's uh, that we've all been able to see in his shows. And I think that Joe's next show is going to reflect the maturity that he's had uh, experienced over the last couple of years. Don't forget Broadway Bounty Hunter and Be More Chill were, you know, uh, are are Mm -hmm. seven, eight nine years old and, and mm-hmm. pre-Broadway and pre-off-Broadway and mm-hmm. major productions and things like that. So I think I think we have great things coming from Joe Iconis, and it's just a matter of, you know, uh, when we <laughs> – did you guys see Sondheim's Frogs? Um, and, and, oh, uh, and, at Lincoln Center? You know, a, a young Sondheim, was he as great as he is uh, right. in his later works? Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but also, I think I've mentioned um, Joe uh, had a show off Broadway several years ago uh, that I think I guess had a really short run, but I loved it. And it was called Blood Song of Love. Oh, yeah. Um, So 
So maybe we'll see that back again. I, I think in in some ways, uh, I you know I liked it better than be more chill. And as I, as I haven't seen Broadway Bounty Hunter yet, uh, so uh, I, but I, I really recall that one being very delightful. Uh, so so that that might be worth a um, some kind of a redo somewhere. So Joe Iconis and the folks that he affectionately calls his family, they are what we would consider Broadway's rising stars. And uh, <laughs> as true as luck might have it, brought, uh, Michael got a got over to Town Hall to see one of Scott, Siesel, Scott Siegel's shows called Broadway Rising, rising Stars. So tell us about that. Yes, this was, I believe, the 19th uh one uh one nineteenth edition annual edition and uh it features this annual concert features recent graduates from musical theater uh programs uh primarily from new york but but elsewhere uh, as well uh for example this year we had people from amda circle in the square n y u steinhardt n y u tisch uh, Marymount Manhattan College, the University of Miami, uh, Pace University, Wagner College, and Webster University. Uh, musical director John Fisher, uh, vocal coach Bill Darty, choreographer Sue Delano, uh, sheet music consultant Michael Levine, uh, and you know, created, uh, written, and directed, and hosted by Scott Siegel. Um, Scott, you know, d- does lots of Broadway-related shows at Town Hall. Most famously Broadway by the year where, uh, you know, that as it, as it sounds, uh, each concert features, uh, songs from that were featured on Broadway in a particular calendar year. Uh, but he also does this Broadway's rising stars and I've been to several of them and it's, you know, it's, it's an incredible launching pad. Uh, the level of talent is, is just amazing as you might expect. Um, I guess, uh, as I say, I've been to several of them. Uh, I I would have gone to this one uh, if only for the fact that there were four performers from my alma mater, Wagner College, Gabrielle Baker, John and Matthew Drinkwater, uh, twin brothers, and Albert Neltrop. Uh, and they all they for, I'll start with them, you know, because of that connection. They they were fantastic. Um, Gabrielle sang If You Knew My Story from Bright Star and uh, uh, let's see. Uh, oh, and Albert Neltrop did At the Fountain from Sweet Smell of Success, Marvin Hamlish and David uh, and Craig Carnelia, excuse me. Um, that and I, as I told Scott Siegel after the concert, it, one of the best things about it was that it was such a, a wonderful mix of all different styles of Broadway musical. Uh, uh, l- uh, let me mention some of the other highlights. Uh, a woman named Mara Friedman sang Electricity from Billy Elliot, which I don't think I had ever heard a woman sing that before. And, and it was just just perfect. Uh, Esmeralda Garza uh, sang You There in the Back Row, which is a fantastic song from a musical that never made it to Broadway. 13 Days to Broadway was the title uh, by Cy Coleman and Barbara Fay. And uh, a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, will know that as the opening track on a fantastic Broadway album that Liz Calloway made years ago. It's just a great, great, great song from a show that still hasn't made it 
you know, to a major production anywhere, and and I hope it will someday. Um, the Drinkwater Brothers were amazing. They uh, in Act One they did Agony from Into the Woods, and first of all, there's the you know the the wonderful, incredible gimmick of having identical twin brothers sing the roles of the the rival princes. Uh, but aside from that, their you know their voices are so great, and their comic acting and and their charisma was was just fantastic. So that was a huge success. Um, uh, then in act two, uh, Albert did at the fountain and, uh, and I, as, as I told him afterwards, I think Brian Darcy James would have been proud because he really, really nailed it. And to have the audience, you know, in a case like that, to have the audience respond so well to a song that I'm sure most of them didn't know because that show was not a success. Uh, it was a very good show that was not a success because uh, it was, it did have its problems, sweet smell of success. But, um, you know, I mean, it's it's a little extra exciting, I guess, when 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 a performer really nails it with a song that is not that famous and the audience goes, oh, gosh, what is that? Um, some of the other amazing people, Luana Saros, P.S.A.R.O.S., did I'm the Greatest Star from Funny Girl, which, you know, I mean, t- takes tremendous courage to do a Streisand number, but she really scored with it because I think it helped that she's a very different type uh, from Streisand, but also she uh, she made it her own as far as the phrasing and the inflections and the comic bits that she did. So really major, major props to her. Uh, this incredible guy, Cameron Nice from Pace University uh, did a spectacular version of On Broadway, uh, which I guess can now be considered a musical theater song because it, you know, ever since it's been in Smokey Joe's Cafe, and I think it may have been in a few other shows since then. Um, but he started it uh, but singing and playing guitar, and then they did a wonderful bit where he uh, uh, one of the other cast members, this beautiful young woman, came on and kind of took the guitar from him and they had a moment together and then she went off stage and he finished it, uh, you know, just, uh, guitar free and just singing it. But it was the, uh, it was the hottest, (laughs) uh, rendition of that show. I've, uh, that song that I've ever seen because uh, of his, the way he sang it. And also that little bit that they did, the relationship between them, it was, there was a whole like one act play going on there. Um, so that was, that was phenomenal. And whoever decided on the the staging and the presentation deserves major props. Um, and then um, Victoria Kemp, uh, uh, towards the end of the show, sang Climb Every Mountain from The Sound of Music. So that was, as I say, this was an amazing amalgam of very, very different styles of music. And oh, and here, uh, you know, this is incredible. Um, exactly 10 years ago, one of the Broadway's rising stars was a young woman named Ali Stroker. Uh, that was her first you know, big thing in New York. And of course, she has gone on to win a Tony Award just just this this year for her performance as Ado Annie in Oklahoma. But this is I love I love this story so much. We were talking with Scott Siegel afterwards and Ali Stroker, as I'm sure many of our listeners know, is in a wheelchair. Uh, she uh, due to an accident when she was when she was very young uh, and they uh when she auditioned for Broadway's Rising Stars in t- 2009, 
uh, Scott and everyone else involved, Barbara Siegel and and the the musical director, they all loved her, but they did have um, some hesitation as to whether they wanted to put her in the show. Uh, along uh, the think their thinking was, well, we we do want to showcase people who you know who can work, and we're afraid that maybe she won't work because she is in a wheelchair. But so they had a few moments of that. And then they all decided, well, no, that, you know, we can't think that way. We she deserves it in terms of her talent. And then if so, we should absolutely put her in the show. And then if people don't cast her, that's their issue. Well, they put her in the show and she immediately started to work. I think uh, one of her first things that Allie did was at Paper Mill. And then uh, she was in Spring Awakening, the uh, the revival on Broadway. Uh, And then she did several other things in, in now Oklahoma and uh, Tony Award. So I thought that was one of the most heartwarming stories I've ever heard. And she, uh, you know, I'm sure she's very grateful to Scott Siegel and Broadway's Rising Stars. So she was happy to come back uh, to uh, end the program by singing Be a Lion from The Wiz with the entire company. And that was just a, a really, really incredible unforgettable moment. Um, so I am, I am so glad that I went to that. And then, uh, just briefly, um, uh, later in the week, just last night, in fact, Saturday, uh, Scott did a show at 54 below. He has a series there called, uh, Broadway's greatest hits. And, and actually, um, the, uh, Three of the, the the people I just mentioned re, reprised their performances from Broadway's Rising Stars uh, because Scott loved them so much. So Victoria Kemp came back to sing Climb Every Mountain and uh, the Drinkwater Brothers reprised both of their songs. Uh, and they're, uh, they both went over like gangbusters. Uh, their, uh, their other song, uh, I almost didn't mention it, was uh, um, obviously Male Male rendition of For Good from Wicked. And it, it just – worked beautifully uh you know, we know we're so used to seeing it as a female duet uh between two female friends in the show and then also i've seen it uh and heard it sung often as a solo in cabaret shows and things like that but it really worked with um uh, with uh, you know just two guys uh, two guys who obviously love each other and have a uh, you know a, a, a you know a, a very 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 strong close relationship so that was that was um i i think that you know the these guys are going to be stars and and that this afternoon and, and i'm sorry this well actually it was an evening show it was a 9 30 p.m show at 54 below but i really really proved that they have boundless potential um just quickly to mention some of the other people in the broadway's greatest hit show um marty vidnevic uh you know <laughs> laura benanti's father who uh was one of the big broadway leading men stars of the 80s uh, and still has his voice a hundred percent intact he was in the show also willie falk um from the original Miss Saigon, uh, Doug Ladner, who's been in several Scott Siegel shows, and a, a woman um, named Morgan Weed, who was um, in American Psycho. Uh, she came and did a couple of numbers. And the music director and pianist was Ron Abel, who's one of the best in the business. So um, Scott does these uh, Broadway's greatest hits, I think, now uh, tw- 
two a month at 54 below. So you have plenty of opportunity to see them uh, 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 check out the calendar, the 54 below calendar, and you'll see what he has coming up. Yeah, I have a link to Scott's uh, calendar from 54 below. Uh, quite a lot of uh, shows still up and coming. Uh, oh, yes. So that's, uh, that's really great that he's able to uh, put that together. Uh, to wrap up this morning's uh, reviews, Jan got down to the public theater to see Mojada. Uh, so, Jan, tell us about the Mojada. Uh, this is a play by uh, Luis Alfaro, who has made a sort of a reputation for himself adapting Greek tragedies. Uh, I think his breakout was uh, his Oedipus El Rey, which he did at the public last year. And Mojada, as you might uh, imagine, is a, a take on Medea. What he does is he resets these um, uh, myths within uh, a Latinx context. And in this case, uh, the Medea, uh, as she is called, is a young woman who is uh, uh, an illegal or an undocumented, I suppose I should say, uh, immigrant who, and we actually, a large part of the play is the journey that she, her husband, her child, and sort of her her longtime servant slash nursemaid, sort of nanny type person, uh, their journey to uh, America and their uh, Medea's fears of being sent back to her home country. We find out later in the play why she is so fearful of going back uh, to the play. But in keeping with the Medea story, her husband, Jason, uh, uh, adapts more easily to being America in America and strikes up uh, what he says is a professional relationship with um, this woman and if you know the play Medea, uh, Medea, you see what's coming. What I thought it was, um, parts of it were really interesting, uh, giving us a, a, a glimpse of the uh, immigrant experience, the contemporary immigrant experience in this uh, country. In a way, though, I wish he hadn't hewed so closely to, to the Medea story because it was you were sort of waiting for each beat of that story to play out. But it's wonderfully uh, performed, um, uh, a young actress, uh, Sabina Zuniga Varela, uh, plays uh, Medea. There are some scene-stealing roles um, by both the woman who is the family servant, Socorro Santiago, is that actress's name, and uh, <clears throat> a fr friend that they find here in America, a real scene-stealing uh, performance by uh, Vanessa uh, Aspilaga. The show is uh, directed by uh, Che Yu, um, whose work some people um, 
uh, may know he is um, the uh, director of um, the Victory Gardens Theater, artistic director of the Victory Gardens Theater uh, in Chicago, and he has worked um, uh, quite a bit with Luis Alfaro. It's uh, not an easy evening of theater, uh, but but a worthwhile one, uh, I think. Uh, the word mojada in Spanish means wet, and so it's a play um, on the uh, a word play on wet back, um, and also uh, just the sort of um, homonym of Mojada uh, uh, Medea. Um, uh, worth seeing uh, if if uh, you've got some fortitude uh, to see it. All right, so that wraps it up for. Uh... Our reviews. Unfortunately, Peter and I were able, were unable to get our schedules together, uh, flight schedules, and uh, record trivia for this week. So we won't have an answer to last week's trivia. But next week we'll have the answer to last week's trivia, and a new trivia question as well. I'd like to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of BroadwayRadio.com. There's a subscribe link that way. Each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. You can listen to us in many ways. Our Heart Radio plays us. TuneIn, Stitcher plays us. Google Play plays us. Anywhere that you can listen to finer podcasts, you'll be able to get Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Michael, for Jan, and for me can be found at the show notes at broadwayradios.com, as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. So on behalf of Jan Simpson and Michael Portantier, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Wasting your time, listening to them, that was the waste. Willie, what was your crime? You were a gem, they were strictly paced. Willie, listen to me. So it got rough, why the guilt? Look at the stuff that you built, so you got burnt. Look what you've learned. You know what I learned, Willie? I learned that the only thing wrong with my life was you, you conniving son of a bitch. I'm on my way. Look, Mama, on my own. I lost my way. That was just an episode. I'm on my way. Off to worlds I've never known. I'm looking for my road. We may just be the best thing that has happened to us, kiddo, partner. Another moment like this may not happen to us, partner, lover. When all is said and done, I have to agree. The time is now, the place is here, this is the chance to open up a new frontier, and if there ever was a time to buy an ear, the time is now.